In an era where many elite athletes specialize in one sport, the Fowler brothers stand out. Brendan Fowler was a two-time NCAA champion during his days of playing lacrosse at Duke, the NCAA championship most outstanding player in 2013, and the single-season leader all-time in face-offs won in the same year. Also on the football team during his time at Duke, Fowler was part of the Blue Devils squad that made its first bowl since 1994, ending a nearly 20-year drought. After graduating, Fowler spent half a season with the Charlotte Hounds of Major League Lacrosse, but still wanted something to do in the offseason. He found his answer at the Fuqua School of Business. Fowler then made his way onto the wrestling mat for a final season of NCAA eligibility. His professional lacrosse career has been spent with the Vancouver Stealth and New York Lizards. Danny Fowler was named an Under Armour All-American in 2013 as the Chaminade High School star lacrosse goalie. That year, he also helped pin down the Catholic State Championship in wrestling. He followed his older brother's footsteps to Duke, where he too played on the lacrosse and football teams. He is now coaching lacrosse at Highland Park High School in Texas. Former Highland Park lacrosse players have played in Division I college programs such as Denver, Villanova, Syracuse, Utah, Harvard, Cornell, Georgetown, and North Carolina. So how is it these multi-sport athletes excel in competition and in other areas of their lives? Today we'll find out. I'm your host, Patty Murphy, and you're listening to the Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance Podcast. Brendan, Danny, welcome. Patty, thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. And Danny, thank, thank you so much for calling in all the way from Texas. Oh, no problem at all. I became familiar with Leadership Under Fire through my work with the FDNY, and I know you guys have ties to the fire department as well. Do you mind identifying the lineage of service in your family? Uh, yeah, I could do that. We have uh, my grandpa, Vincent uh, Vincent Fowler, was a battalion chief, did uh, 40 years in the fire department after he was a Marine. Um, you know, my Uncle Vinny, who was captain of Ladder uh, 7, passed in a fire in 98. Then you have my Uncle Andy, who's a firefighter, and my, da- uh, my dad, who was 176 and Rescue 2. And then my Uncle Liam on my mom's side is a um, the captain of Rescue 2 now. Yeah, and I'm familiar with your uncle, Captain Liam Flaherty, as you mentioned, of Rescue 2. We met in 2016. Yeah, he's, he's quite the guy. He, um, he is a presence. N- no doubt. <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh... He's pretty well known on the department, it seems. Absolutely. And from what I understand, it's not just the two of you. You have two other brothers? Yeah, so Jack is a senior at Duke now, um, finishing up there. Then Vincent, the youngest of the four, is a sophomore at Chaminade High School. Four boys. Four boys. I'm actually the polar opposite. I'm one of four girls. And really, to round out that image for you, we had a poodle when I was growing up. <laughs> we, 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 we have two we have a, bull mastiffs. Two, two bull mastiffs around like 140 and 120 pounds, so a little different. Similar but different. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk about this foundation that you guys have, your family background? Has that impacted you as student athletes? De- I think it definitely has. Um, obviously, you know, you grow up in a family of service. Um, is just something that's always kind of been preached to us. You know, my dad, uncles, um, you start with my dad, obviously he's a firefighter, but he, you know, works side jobs, was always a really hard worker, hustler. I think that's something he tried to pass down to us. Um, but just like the core values of the fire department and growing up around people who, who act that way all the time, I think definitely shaped us a lot growing up. Danny, what are your Yeah, uh, yeah I think uh, spending time just around that caliber of man. And just the people you grow up looking up to are guys like our dad, our uncle, our grandpa, who uh, 
Well, when we when I was younger, especially, you kind of just thought everybody was like that. But then older and older you get, you realize not everybody lives their life that way, has signed up to do a job where they're risking their lives for others. So when you can look at that as a people who kind of raised you and you grew up around, it's uh, it definitely shapes you and kind of shapes what you want to be like when you grow up. So then how did that transfer to your athletic life? So uh, as far as my athletic life, I mean, I think it's a lot of it is hard work and a lot of it is really not being selfish. You know, you're always, you're, you're kind of always, uh, we all, we played team sports. That was really what our thing was. And uh, yeah, just knowing it's about the team over yourself and really being able to kind of take that and seeing, and like, you know, not just being about me, me, me and being able to put the team before yourself. And even when you become a leader in leadership positions, just how you want guys in your team to view you, how you want to treat them. And, uh, I mean, it, it really, across everything I've done in sports, I think it's really affected me. So our dad was, and Brendan can speak to this too, he coached us in football our entire lives growing up. So he had a very, very solid impact on how we, we acted in kind of our athletic communities um, growing up. So, yeah, yeah, definitely a strong effect. Yeah, to piggyback on that, I think just like a lead-by-example kind of mentality, I think – my dad and my uncles, they could have told us a million lessons, but you wouldn't, they wouldn't have to say anything. You just watch how they acted. Um, they're always leaders by example. And I think that's something we definitely try to take with us, you know, as you became captains of a team and that you can stand up and talk to people and preach and say that. But I think the way you act um, speaks much louder than words. So that's something definitely between my uncle, dad, grandpa that we, we grew up around and tried to emulate. So, Brendan, among your many accomplishments, you are an NCAA all-time leader in face-off wins and face-offs taken in a season. You have the fourth most face-off wins in NCAA history and second most face-offs taken in NCAA history. In case our listeners aren't super familiar with the game of lacrosse, what are some of the challenges you have to deal with in a face-off? Uh, yeah, so um, facing off in lacrosse, obviously a team sport and it's a team activity, but it's a bit of a one-on-one aspect of a game to an extent. Um, it's very technical, so you have to be very technical in what you do. It's based a lot off reaction time, so react to a whistle, so you need to be very you know dialed in um, when it comes to that. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a really physical, competitive part of the game. It's definitely like a, you know you open the game with it after every goal is a face-off, so it definitely is a momentum starter for your team. Um, but yeah, very, uh, very technical, um, physical, you know, the stick and things you use are important. You have to be really dialed in on that before you even step on the field. So there's definitely a lot that goes into it. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I like it. Boiled down, what I took away is that each face-off is a new individual battle and speed is a factor. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That would be very, that'd be spot I on. I took good notes. All right. Yes. And now, Danny, you were a member of the lacrosse uh Duke lacrosse team. Prior to that, you were a three-year letterman at Chaminade and served as goalie on the lacrosse team. Can you break down some of the items you have to deal with as a goaltender in lacrosse? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I would say that as my career went on, it definitely uh, changed. So I'll start by saying in high school, uh, more or less, I was kind of able to just show up and, and really play. Um, it was uh, I never really had to think too much about it. It was easy for me. Uh, I, I kind of, I mean, believe me, I definitely put in a lot of work, but uh, there was a, definitely a certain level of success and uh, that I had, and it really wasn't wasn't nearly as difficult as my college experience when I came to it. And and what I mean by that is I really had to start working on the mental side of the game once I got to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, the talent level is just that much better uh, when you get to play in a play at a place like Duke and in the ACC. And so, yeah, the, the biggest thing for me. Uh, I mean, because when you're playing goal, you definitely you need a certain amount of athletic ability. But 
the movements are pretty short. It's really about your ability to focus and just trying to keep your emotions and everything in check in high pressure situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really, it, for me, it was really learning to shape the mental side of my game, which I was able to do more and more year after year at Duke. Uh, kind of learn from my experiences and, I mean, I keep, we can get a little bit more into that a little bit later or, or now if you'd like to. But, um, yeah, there are definitely some certain things I started to work on and focus that changed my career really with the mental side of things. So how do you yeah. absorb failure in these roles? Yeah, so I would say um, I think as a face-off guy or goalie, right, you're very in the spotlight. Um, you know, when you face-off, everyone's watching you, right? It's one-on-one. The game, like, nobody, nobody misses a face-off. Nobody misses a goal or sees it, right? So you're definitely in the spotlight. Um I think one thing we can take away, me and Danny both wrestled, I think that's a was a really good background for it. And wrestling has a lot of great things about it, but it's a one-on-one sport and it's it's up to you. You're out there and you can't point fingers and blame things. And I think in just in anything, it's pretty easy to do. When you're in a team sport, oh, well, the defense could have played better, the offense could have. I think we learned at a young age and our, and our dad and uncle always preach that like, when you're a man, you kind of own up to how things go. So if you fail, it's on you. If you do well, it's on you. You don't want to point fingers and blame. So that's definitely a big part of it. Um, and you're going to fail. Like as a goalie face-up guy, you, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to have tough games. You're going to have times you play bad. I think you could point at the refs or talk about the defense. I think something we both try to do, and Daniel will talk about uh, his side of it, is just, no, it was, that was on me. I could play better. I could do that. I think when you do that, it, it helps you a lot because then you know you kind of feel like you're in control of your success or failure when you uh, own up to things that way. And I think that's the way to be as a leader. People want to be around a guy like that. They don't want to be around a guy that's pointing fingers at people. And doing that, um, I think we definitely both hate failure. I don't like it, but I know it's it's a part of anything. If you're going to be putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and pushing yourself, and you're going to fail at things, I think you know you either succeed or or you take it as something to learn from. And I think that's uh, so that we both definitely try to do. I'll let Danny speak on his end, but um, you know they're different positions, but in some ways they're pretty similar. Uh, before we get to Danny, Brendan, it got to a point where it seemed like you were almost expected to win every time. So what kind what kind of pressure did that put on you or what kind of pressure did you put on yourself and then how did you deal with that? Definitely. Yeah, I think at one point in my career I got to a point where I had a little bit of unrealistic expectations for every time I played. I thought every game I played was going to be great and um yeah, definitely like it was pretty hard on myself, which I think is has made me successful. I think the fact that I'm like that um has driven a lot of success in my life, but um I got to a point finally after I was like, I'm not going to have a perfect game every time I play, right? I'm going to play well, and it's, that's just reality. Um, but I think when that's kind of your standard, what you're chasing, it's going to – if you fall a little short, you're still going to be doing all right. So, um, yeah, definitely got to a point where I, I put a lot of – but I always put a lot of pressure on myself, even before. So um, I think probably more people expected it after, but I've always put a lot of pressure on myself, um, whatever I'm doing, just to perform the best I can, right? Outside expectations are what they are. Like I think you know what you're capable of. You know, you know if you you know if you put all the work in during the week or not. Nobody else does. Like I think that I kind of hold myself to that standard, preparing the right way and doing things that, um, along those lines. Mm-hmm. And Danny, what about you? How'd you end up absorbing failure in the that goalie position? Um, yeah, I think it's a. You'll see a lot of similarities between what me and Brennan have to say, but a goalie is a position where. I mean, listen, guys can take shots in from real time. I mean, the average goalie save percentage in Division One, I, I think, this past year was somewhere around 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're at 60%, if you're saving six out of every 10, you're an All-American. Uh, not too differently from face-offs, where if you win six out of every 10, you might be an All-American, too. Um, it's, the, uh, it's just realizing goals are going to get scored. And I don't know if I ever had a game where there wasn't a shot that I wanted back uh, or a goal, I let, a goal I let up that I wanted back. Um, and it's definitely a high pressure situation. And, and to a sense too, you're, you're the goalie. You can, 
you can have a really large effect on the game. You can win the game if you're playing out of your mind and make a bunch of saves. You can lose the game if you're letting up some goals that uh, that go, you know, that you should be saving when the defense is playing well in front of you. But for me, it was really the importance of just being able to bounce back from you give up a goal, whatever happens. There's nothing that's more important than the next shot you're going to see. Uh, that's much easier said than done, but that was something I had to work on kind of crafting over my career. You're playing in these big stadiums. We're playing in Gillette Stadium, the Final Four, in front of like 30,000 people and give up a goal. And you really just got to be the master of your own mind and be able to turn your focus to that next shot. And for me, for me, it would be by the time the next face off is being taken, I have to already have forgotten about what happened and just really be clearing my mind to be focusing on that next shot. So really, it's for me, it was boiling things down to as simple as they could be. And when, when you realize that dwelling on a mistake you made isn't going to help you uh, help you make the next play, you have to be mentally strong enough to just let it go and move on. So that, that was that's really the gist of what I had to uh, deal with failure-wise. It seems like you've identified ways of being resilient and really process-oriented versus result-oriented. But what is the difference between being a good athlete and a great athlete when you're playing at that ultra-competitive level, in your opinions? Yeah, I think the the big difference you'll see, and obviously I think that's why we're out here to talk about this, is the mental side of it, right? When you get – there are some guys out there like a LeBron James, right, who's just a freak of nature that. But when you look at guys in the NBA and guys in the NFL or guys who play college football or lacrosse, nobody is – when you get to the highest level, nobody is so much better athletically that it's like, oh, it's not close, right? In high school, some teams are way more talented. As you get to that level, you know, everyone's really talented. It's just like attention to detail, the mental side of it, confidence, preparation, all that. Like I think even for me, when I was younger, and I didn't show up in college. I, I didn't dominate. I was, a, I was a walk-on, walked on two teams, played some in lacrosse, a freshman, sophomore. My junior year had a lot of success. It wasn't like I turned into a totally different athlete. Right? I had some really good players above me who helped shape me and – I got again. I got better at some skills, but a lot of it was just confidence and being around it, and that I didn't change much as a person or athlete or player. Um, had some older guys in the team. Uh, Andrew Rulins, one who actually just had his wedding this weekend, who was like a mentor to me. CJ Costabile was another. Two older guys in the team who pushed me and got me outside my comfort zone, maybe better at the things I need to work on. But again, it wasn't that I became much of a different player. I think I just from being around those guys and work with them, just the confidence and preparation that was what made the difference. Again, at that level, the the difference between. You know, if the difference between like a first team, first team American and an average faceoff guy in Division One is probably like a tenth of a second of reaction time, or if, if that, right? So right. it's a really small margin of error. It's but being mentally sharp and being able to, when you're having a bad game, forget it and get back on it, right? And be able to keep that mental edge all the time is what makes a difference. Danny, would you agree? Yeah, I, I 100% think it's the it's the mental edge. I think there's a, another side of it too is just from my experience at Duke, the uh, all the guys who come in. Duke to play. Everyone's the best guy in their high school. They all come in with aspirations of being all Americans and stuff. And you, uh, kind of like Brendan said, you're uh, there's a really strong chance. Maybe a few guys you're going to come in and you're not going to be seeing the field right away. And I think a lot of guys, uh, it's really how you deal with something like that. And I mean, and in a sense, I guess that's a failure in dealing with a certain failure of how you're going to handle. Okay, I'm not going to get a, a return on my my hard work and effort right away because I'm not going to be seeing the field. But can I keep working hard day after day, you know, stay committed, stay focused, and be able to look a year or two down the line where I'm going to be that guy in that position. I'm going to be a senior. I'm going to be a captain and have to deal with that. Um, it's uh, th- That's a huge side of things where guys who are competitors, when they can't, when you're putting on the jersey and not getting on the field on game day, you see some, some guys can't really deal with it that well. And they kind of, I know so, some guys will take like self-protective attitudes where they kind of 
to stop giving some real effort or it's like, oh, it's not that important to me or whatever. But it's, uh, it's really just being able to do, and, and it's really, it comes down to being able to deal with failure, deal, deal with adversity, because whether it's on the field, uh, in, a, in a big-time game or off the field, it's, it's all about, uh, nothing's going to go that smoothly. You know, it's just, I don't know anybody who hasn't gone through some ups and downs in their athletic career. But the ability to just kind of keep moving forward and keep, uh, stay, for me, stay in process oriented, stay goal oriented, uh, know what you're working towards. That, that's really the difference, I think, in, in most guys who make it at the top. Yeah, I, I think to piggyback off that too, D- Danny made some good points there. Is, I don't know if a lot of people realize like how much work goes behind being successful, like before you get there, right? So, and you look at like, again, guys in the NBA, like, and people, you know, are, I want to get good at basketball. They start working hard and they do it for a couple of weeks. Like the amount of years and shot, like you got like Kobe Bryant, like how many shot basketball shots that guy's taken since he started playing? Like I couldn't even imagine. Right. And it, I don't know if he was the best player when he started out. Right. I think a lot of guys like, you know, we had a dad who pushed us really, really hard and I wasn't some big recruit out of high school. I walked on, right. Like I put in a lot of work and I think I saw most of my success, probably my junior year of college. It's a fair 10 years of working really hard before I saw a ton, like a huge return on it. Um, and um, again, that's why we said staying process oriented. I think we're lucky to have people around us that raise us that way, um, and coaches who push us to be like that. But yeah, there's definitely. I think uh, people don't realize we live in a society that's very like, um, you know, instant, instant, gratification. instant gratification. There we go, instant gratification. Um, and it's just it's not it's not reality for anything that's going to be really hard or really difficult. Like this, yeah, nobody. Again, a few freak athletes here and there, but ninety five percent of people. It takes a long body of work for a long time. You're going to fail. You have a ton of bad games before you end up being that guy. You know, if you want at the top of your sport or game, whatever you're doing. So, as you gain success and continue to gain success, what is it that you do to maintain such humility and stay grounded? Yeah, I think th- that um, luckily, like playing at a really high level, that kind of takes care of itself. Because if especially you have success, you're gonna have teammates around you that <laughs> that beat up on you in practice one day. And um, I don't think people realize that either. Right? You're this, like you played a, in a program like Duke. Like there are guys on our team that never really played. Unbelievable lacrosse players. Probably gonna play, you know, in the, at that level. So you're playing against really high level guys all the time. Um, yeah, and you just, I think you need to keep putting yourself in situations that you're, you could fail in. I think that's important. I think it's really easy when you're having a lot of success to be like kind of comfortable in one area and not want to go outside that. But if you're pushing yourself to be somewhere where you can fail, like we always had a quote at Duke, uh, we'd say, it's not fun if you can't lose, right? Like anything in competition, like if, if you feel so easy that you're going to do it and it's not going to be hard and there's not a chance that like you could lose in something, it's, it's really not that fun. It is, but I think the, the best games are the ones where you go in like, wow, this seems good. Like, I don't know if we could beat them. And that's, I think, in competition, you keep yourself in those kind of situations, whether it's like you're doing a workout or you're trying to do this or whatever the time is. When you put yourself in something where you're not, uh, you're not sure, you think you might be able to do it, but you're not really sure. I think those are the kind of situations that keep you like that. And you're going to fail at some of them. And that helps you keep, keeps you, um, keeps you grounded for sure. Yeah, I think um, def- definitely similar to what Brendan was saying. I feel like, in some senses, like being too comfortable is almost like a little bit of a drug in a sense where people can get like you want to feel comfortable in the situations you're at. But the reality of really competitive sports for us, Brendan playing pro, me playing at Duke, uh, it's the guys around you are going to keep you hungry. And I'll expand. When I uh, my redshirt junior year, I had an All American season. And it was my best season so far. And uh, I came back from my fifth year, and I was fighting for my starting job again with, uh, with the couple guys behind me because when you're surrounded, when you're at that level, you can't really be content with what you're doing because there are guys who have wanted to be in the position you're in. And 
it's it's not a it, it's not a negative thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's just guys the 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 standard is so high that you need to keep meeting that day after day. And if you ever get comfortable to the point where you think, oh, I I made it, I'm here. Well, you're not there until you're done. And if you have that mentality, you're gonna fall behind guys who are hungrier than you. So it's really finding a way to just keep yourself hungry. And when you when you realize that, oh, okay, I got to wherever I wanted to be, or when I became the starter at Duke, it's like, oh, I'm the starting goalie at Duke. Well was that your goal or do you want to be an all-american now what do you want to do you know and and if you ever get to a point where you're really satisfied with anything along those lines it's it probably won't be too long until there's someone who's hungrier than you will come behind you and catch you i think the answer to my next question is pretty obvious given what you've already said about your family but do you think your family history and dynamic has played a part in your maintaining your humility i think yeah i think definitely i think we were around like again um you, you know who my uncle Liam, you know some of the accomplishments my family's had, and you wouldn't know any of it. You know, they've never been ones to talk about themselves and do that. So I think that's something we grew up around and just tried to, yeah, always trying to work hard, always trying to get better at what's next. And no matter how good you are at something, there is someone out there better than you, no doubt. Right? He said there's somewhere, wherever he is, like there's someone out, there's someone working harder than you, there's someone out there doing better than you. And you can try to keep that in your mind. It's hard to think that way all the time. Um, and but we always kind of, you know, we grew up, th- like, being in an environment where like you know someone's out there working harder where it's you want to go play in college right there's some other high school kid who's just like you who wants to go to the same place who's working out right now like are you going to do that and i think um our family dynamic growing up around that helped for sure and what have you noticed among other athletes at this level um i think they there's there's it's it's interesting really high level athletes like some of them are like they're almost like one way or another some of them are really humble some of them are really loud and talk and back it up and i think I would like to rather be on the humble side, but I, every, everyone's different, right? And, and what you need to do to to play well, some people need to put on that like fake bravado, and that gets kind of gets them going. And a lot of guys do it and back it up, right? You'll see, like, I mean, Conor McGregor is like a good example, right? He wants to get on loud, and he plays, puts on a show for it. Like, I don't think he actually feels that way, but that's just what he does, and that gets him ready to go, right? Some guys don't need to talk about anything. I think everybody's a little different, but it's usually they're usually to one extreme or the other. I find I feel like they're either very humble or they'll let you know when they're in the room pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd agree with that too. I think, um, yeah, I, what I think keeps guys humble too, at least for me. And, and, uh, I mean, and, and listen, college lacrosse, which is, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big deal, but we're not exactly out on the street where you have guys, <laughs> people coming up to a look, coming up to us looking for our autographs. Right. Uh, I think a locker room keeps guys humble. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously you want to have your own standard of how you want to act. Um, but yeah, for, I mean, it just surrounding yourself by good people. And I mean, you should always have the goal. Like, like Brendan was saying, I, I, I like to think I'm a pretty humble guy. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm very humble because that's not a very humble thing to say, but I, uh, I think that it's, it's really like the people you surround yourself with. And, uh, I mean, just being around a group of guys who challenge you every day and you should be surrounding yourself by people who if you start talking about yourself too much or anything. You, you should have people to check you, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's, I, I think, I mean, at Duke, I think our group overall is a, definitely a very humble group, uh, especially in the locker room. And uh, it was kind of the standard of guys that we wanted to have. If you're talking about yourself, how you do this or you do that, then I don't know, guys probably aren't going to want to spend time around you for one. And then it's just uh, just not a good way to be. So I think uh, that, that program holds uh, – Coach Janowski does a great job there with developing more than just the uh more than just the athlete and lacrosse guy and lacrosse player but really the caliber of man you want to be and i think that for me at that level and brendan has a little bit of a different perspective from playing in pro but 
it was a very humble group of guys, really some of the best guys I've ever spent time around. Definitely. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think like the, the best friends and teammates you have aren't the guys who just tell you you're awesome and tell you, oh, it's okay, you didn't good. It's the guys who kind of who hold you accountable, right? It's definitely the guy, the best teammates and coaches, people around. Like you want people to sur- like that surrounding you all the time. So you, you've done a good job of balancing confidence and humility. Um, both of you have lettered across different sports. What are some of the challenges associated with then leading some of your peers? Yeah, I, th- I think our position in lacrosse, especially, I think uh, for me, if I'm having, a, if you're having a really good game as a faceoff guy or a goalie, again, it's pretty apparent to everyone. It's very easy to like be loud and talking, right? I think the difficulty comes when like maybe you're struggling a bit, but you're still a captain that people look up to, and I think that's why. Again, you're not going to be, you're not going to have a great game every time you're out there. You're not going to be awesome, but if you, if guys know you prepare hard, if you, if you're, pro- again, we talked about being process oriented, right? If if you prepare right, if you work really hard, if guys know you're doing everything you can to be your best, like you're going to have bad games, you could still lead. Like I think when I was younger, I felt like if I'm not having a good game, I can't really speak up because I need to worry about myself. But I think I don't think that's the truth. I think uh, you need, uh, like, if you're doing the right things and work as hard as you can, like you can lead guys. Like we've had, I've had captains of teams that didn't play. Right, but they were they're great leaders because they did the right stuff all the time. And I think um, is it easier when the best player on the field and doing great? Yeah, sure. But you can lead regardless. Um, but I think that's one thing I, I that I've kind of learned in my time as a leader that if you, you just want to be the guy who does the right things all the time, who comes who's in early, stays late, does the extra work. If you're one of those guys, you can lead a team whether you're the best player or you never play a second. Yeah, I think um, leadership for me. It, but my view on it, or just really my experience, ch- changed very much from high school to college. And uh, essentially, when I when I was in high school, I was, uh, I guess you could say, a, a little bit more of a, quote, hardo. <laughs> and I, uh, I kind of saw things one way, and if people weren't doing things that way, I was not cool. Then I really didn't have a lot of tact and couldn't. And then at that level, I mean, it was fine. It served well. It definitely had some success there. But when I got to Duke, uh, you kind of learn that you have to – act a little differently and in a sense really understand where your teammates heads are and know where they're coming from and really learn how to reach different guys you know it's uh there's definitely a time for me like hey this is the standard this is how we do things there is no there's no budget on this there's also a time where you can learn how to reach a guy better and maybe going after him a certain way or you see him do something and you don't like it there's better ways to get to guys and really the 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 goal of leadership is success in the end, right? So how you get there doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be someone standing up in front of guys, giving a speech or whatever. For me, a lot of the times it would be grabbing a guy who's having a little bit of a tough time and having a one-on-one conversation with them outside of uh, outside of practice, you know? So I just learned that there's a leadership isn't just being very preachy, standing up in front of people. There's a lot of little nuances to it, and sometimes the best guys at it, who I, I saw some of the guys I played with were, Guys who just kind of knew how to talk to guys and, and reach guys in different ways versus standing up and, you know, delivering a speech in front of a team. Yeah, I, th- I think our Duke coaches are the best example of that. I, I like when I got there, I realized how they, by the time you're a sophomore, like those coaches know how to push your buttons and get you going, no matter who you are. And everyone's different. Some guys some guys get yelled at and it's great and they love it. And some guys you yell at them and they turtle into a shell. And I think a lot of the coaches I grew up with, I've had some, re- I've had some amazing coaches. I've been really lucky throughout my career, but I've had some coaches where they treat everyone the same way. They, and then our coaches at Duke were so good, and I try to emulate that when I coach or play like that. Everyone's different. Some people yell at them, get on them, they snap right back in, and they're fine. Some guys you yell at, they turtle, they don't like it. And I think a lot of people, it's easy 
I like Danny said, it's easy to be like, oh, he just he's soft, he doesn't like it, you know that. But if your job as a leader isn't isn't to judge that, it's to, to get him to you know to reach his potential as best. So treating guys in a different way, again, take him off on the side, doing that, I think is our due coaching staff for lacrosse. I, I've never been been around a better a group of people who are better at doing that. Speaking of coaching and leadership, then um, Chaminade High School fielded its first lacrosse team in 1977, and head coach Jack Moran assumed his post in 1979, a role he's still in today. It's been said that he did a good job of coaching not only the sport but the individual. What was it like playing for him and at that age? Jackie Moe is quite the uh, quite the legend in the lacrosse world, especially at Chaminade. He's he's awesome. Um, had a huge impact on me. He coached me in both football and lacrosse. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's what Chaminade does a great job of. They fold like you know X's and O's wise. You know, there's a lot of things to do, but like molding young men and teaching. Like I, I learned a lot of core values there. I was as an eighth grader. I was at Wantaw Public School. I thought I was pretty cool. Um, I think going to Chaminade probably learned a lot of humility and stuff at a young age going there. But I think those coaches, they're more about shaping you know young men. Coach Moran, uh, Coach Regan, his son Jim Regan, um, legendary story Duke Duke guy. Um, Enlisted in the army, died in combat in Iraq. Um, his dad coached us, so just being around that caliber of men at that high school age—it's such a time to shape kids. Um, was really lucky to have them, but again, it was more for them, more about who you were as a person. Nobody cared how many goals you scored or assists. Obviously, it's important at the time to worry about that, and you realize that as a player when you get older. That's not the stuff that really matters, right? Like when you're—we'll um, we'll probably get to that in a few minutes here. But yeah, those guys—they just—they they mold young men and they and they teach you the right core values, and I think. Whether you play lacrosse to the next level or you never play lacrosse again when you leave, that they have a huge impact on everyone that comes to that program. Yeah, I think um, I think Coach Moran, his his level of success is. I mean, I, I think you just look at the products of that school and kind of who's come out. And for me, it, it, this might not be obvious to people who don't know everybody, but some of my Shamanad lacrosse buddies, we had a we had a reunion uh, a couple weeks ago and hadn't seen a bunch of them in a while. And they're all everyone's doing extremely well. Um, they just they just really care about the caliber of man that comes out of there. And I mean, yeah, Coach Moran, he's been doing it for so long. The amount of lives he's touched and positive impact he's had on everybody, he's just, he's an unbelievable guy. Yeah, character-wise, everything. There's a, there's a certain standard that needs to be upheld, and that school, and particularly Coach Moran, does a great job of doing that, along with the, the rest of the coaching staff. But yeah, that, that program is definitely, uh, there's, there's a special bond with everyone who's come out of that program. And uh, Coach Moran is really the one to... Uh, to credit for that. You both have coaching experience. Danny, you recently became part of the coaching staff at Highland Park High School in Texas. Are, are there any others that you try to emulate when you're coaching? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it'd be hard for me to say I've had so many good coaches. I could just list you down a name of them and they've all had an impact on me. But I think definitely Coach Moran and Coach Regan at Chaminade. Coach Boyd was a football coach. I played for Chaminade. Uh, Duke, I don't think I could have been luckier. When I, in 2013, I played for the National Coach of the Year in football and the National Coach of the Year in lacrosse, like David Cutcliffe and John Donowski. Uh, Ron Caputo, who's an assistant at Duke, has always been like a really special coach to me, and Danny's really tight with him too. He he was the one guy who like really pushed me. Like I think when I was younger, I hated him. When I was a freshman, I was like, I hate this coach. Whatever. And by the time I was a senior, I was like, this guy pushed me. He's like the, one of the best coaches I ever played for, and I love the guy. So I think um, those guys, and then you know through high school, we just, we've been lucky to have a, have a lot of good coaches. And I think – Everyone's going to be different. I'm not going to coach the same as anything, but if I can take a little piece from each one of them and try to, to mold my own style of coaching um, is, is what I've tried to do over time. Danny? It's really my first time I'm going to be coaching a group of guys over an extended period of time. I'm excited for it because I've seen the impact that coaches have had on me my entire life. Um, between coaches at Chaminade, 
for coaches at Duke, uh, especially, and I mean, listen, you spend five years there playing one sport year round. They're obviously going to have a, uh, a really large effect on you. But I, I mean, really trying to emulate Coach Janowski, Coach Caputo, Coach Moran, um, and really trying to craft my own style being on the other side of it now versus uh, taking the coaching. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. There are definitely guys who I want to uh, emulate, and it's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be some trial and error, mm-hmm. but uh, I luckily have a great, great. Uh, framework and experience to work from with the guys that I've played for, and I'm I'm very lucky in that regard. Good luck to you. Th- Thank you. I think it would it would be it would be a really big miss on our part if we didn't probably mention the one coach who shaped us the most would be John Fowler, our dad, uh, coach us. Yeah, true. Up. So I think it's easy to get caught up in high school and college, but growing up playing football for him, you learned how to be tough and work hard pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I think honestly, I think a lot of my molding years like was was him coaching me up till I was I think 13. In football, um, learned a lot from him. I think we spent like yeah, all those memories down Mandalay was our football field. It's down by the water, a ton of bugs, nasty kind of grass. That's where we grew up playing football, and I think that place he shaped and definitely us, and I think a lot of our friends. Um, so he may, he's probably the most impactful coach of all of them. You almost leave him off because you forget, but uh, yeah, he's uh, again his impact on us is like you can't even put into words. You started Fowler Brothers Lacrosse in 2017 to provide coaching to young lacrosse players in your hometown of Wontaw, and you provide specialty clinics around the country. In your mission statement, you write, At Fowler Brothers Lacrosse, our goal is developing the character of young men as well as skilled lacrosse players and believe that the two go hand in hand. I think it's safe to say that you feel it's important to be morally prepared in ultra-competitive settings. Why is that? Uh, yeah, so we started Fowler Brothers across. I, at the time, I, I was living in California, running camps all across the country, and someone was like, "How come you never do, never do anything back in our hometown?" I was like, "That's actually, you know, a really good idea." Wanta, you know, we grew up there. The town's done so much for us, um, so definitely want to give back in that regard. I think, you know, to answer the question, um, you know, our mission statement and, and moral, I think. Um, in ultra competitive settings, and just in life in general, in big decisions, you got to have some kind of moral code or rules you live your life by to fall back on. Again, every decision is a little different, but you definitely want to have a core, th- a core few things you believe in. So when you get to a really tough decision, you're there, you can kind of fall back on those, and that'll help you uh, shape your decisions. But I also think, you know, as a lacrosse player, whether you, you have a ton of success or not, like a great example, I was at a wedding this weekend. Um, I think we had 16 do lacrosse players back, and. You know, we've all been out of school for some time, and, and nobody cares how many goals you scored or assists or face-offs you won or saves you made, right? You remember who's a good teammate, who cared about the guys around him, who worked really hard. That's what matters, right? No, at, like, you get you get caught up in that, I think, when you're younger. Like, the guy who scores the most, most goals is the coolest, and he's awesome, and that doesn't make him a good teammate in any way. Hopefully he is, right? But I think you realize when you're older, like, the really important stuff is that. It's not how many goals or assists, how many games you won and lost. It's that locker room bond, Um and the time you spend around each other, and you know the guys who care for you, who do anything for the guys next to them, and those are the guys that matter, whether they're the best player in the country or they don't play a second all year. It doesn't matter. But I know towards the, coming towards the end of my playing career at some point, I know I'll hopefully play a few more years, but I know I'm not going to play forever. Um, I think that's something I've really realized as time went on, that that's what's really important, much more than, you know, again, working really hard to be skilled is important because that's just part of the character of, you know, trying to be the best, but... You know, who you are as a teammate and who you are as that is, is way more important than any stat or record you're going to set. Uh, to me, it's not even close. Yeah, I'd, uh, I, I agree with Brendan there. When, when you look at uh, when, I, when I look at my life, I mean, I'm, I'm still very young, uh, being 23, but uh, lacrosse has really given me just about everything in my life to this point. It gave me an opportunity to go to Duke, 
it's, it's given me this job down in Texas, given me a lot of the best friends I could ever ask for. And uh, there, there's, there's definitely a lot of people who helped us get to where we are. And I think that there's definitely, there, there's an obligation to, to pass the torch, you know, to, to pay it forward and help guys who are younger. And it's uh, one thing you, you kind of realize now is I remember when I was younger, little experiences I would have with guys. Um, I, Adam Gittleman is a pro goalie. Uh, he's been a mentor to me. And when I was actually in middle school, I missed one of my practices with my dad to go watch him play. And he, uh, he was unbelievable. He actually scored a goal, which I loved. He ran up the whole field and scored. And uh, it always stuck with me, that experience of watching him play. And then as I got older, got into a place where I was uh, kind of rising up, going to Duke, I got in touch with him. I think it was actually through Brendan. And he acted as a mentor to me and at the drop of a hat would do whatever he could for me. Uh, call me. I would if I had a tough game, I could call him up. And I'm I'm lucky to uh, have had guys who have paid it forward in that regard. So I think it's uh, it's definitely somewhat of an obligation to when people do things like that for you on along the way. It's uh, you got to help guys out and, and pay it forward and uh, keep it going. And with the lacrosse community, which is a particularly tight knit one, I think that's uh, that's definitely part of what we're trying to do. I think it's safe to say that all of this translates to your life outside of sport. Brendan, you have a BA in sociology. Danny, you have a BA in psychology. Both of you then went on to obtain Master's of Management Studies degrees from Fuqua School of Business at Duke University. Does your approach to your academic life mirror your athletic life? Um, It does. I would say I definitely enjoy the athletic part of my life more than I enjoyed school for the most part. But I think um, what you kind of realize if I feel like you, if you're going to go all in and work really hard at stuff, it has to translate to all aspects to your life. Um, you know, it has to, if you're going to work really hard, you know, and be dedicated, you have to be that way in school. You have to be that way in your relationships. You have to be that way in athletics. It's got to transfer over. I've kind of seen that. You can't, like, it's hard to bring that mentality of life to one aspect and not others. I feel like that it gets messy. I think you have to do that in everything. So you can't spread yourself too thin between doing too much. But, um, yeah, I think now, especially as I got older, like when I was younger, you, know, you just want to play sports. You think it's cool, but you, and you, school is kind of you do it so you can play. But then you get older and you realize, one, being smart is pretty cool. Um, you definitely realize that as you get older. So, I think towards the end of my academic life, I started to mirror that a lot more with my athletic life, and I think I had more success in both. When I, you know, I would think, oh, I just work hard in sports and academics. I just do it at the bare minimum. When you start working harder in both, I found that I had more success in both. Danny? Yeah, I'd. Uh... I agree with Brendan there. I mean, I wish I could sit here and tell you that <laughs> my my academic um, efforts always mirrored my athletic efforts. I mean, they look sports up a little bit more of my passion, so it definitely at, at points has taken up more of my energy and time. But I mean, I think uh, I kind of have what Brendan was saying. We we, I, we actually had, this is this comes from our uh, our due coaching staff actually talk about the concept of bleed through and how kind of the way you do one thing is the way you do anything or everything. And really for me, it would come down to if this is, if I'm doing something and I'm putting my name on it. And so I'm, I'm doing work or, you know, school work, whatever it is, I'm trying to do it to, to the best of my ability, the best that I can do. And I think me and Brendan, one of the reasons we chose Duke as in uh, as a school, uh, I wish I could tell you, I knew my experience was going to be as great as it was. And we we're going to be playing for the best coaches in the world. But a lot of it was, you know, academics and those things, they definitely set you up for, because uh, at some point the game's going to end, you know, and then what are you going to be doing afterwards? Mm-hmm. And so it's really, just like, like anything else, it's, it's all about putting in as much effort as you can 
uh, and, and really striving for that. Like, have I always done that? I wish I could say I always did, but not, uh, I think, I think as I got older, it became more of a focus and it's just, uh, you just really anything where you're putting your name on something or you're in a classroom. And if you're not going to give your best effort, then I don't know. It's, uh, it's just not the way we were brought up and not the type of person I want to be known as. So that's, uh, so I, I definitely try to strive to have my academic efforts match my athletic efforts. Got it. Thank you so much to both of you for sharing all of that. I want to segue and ask you, Brendan, you've contributed to Leadership Under Fire, I believe, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, two years ago. What is it about the Leadership Under Fire philosophy and concept that makes it unique and important to you? Um, what, what I think is awesome about it, obviously, Jason Bresler is a guy I've got to know through my uncle who we, I think, really high love. Our whole family does. He's a, you know, he's a rock, rock star of a dude. Um, and when he asked me to get involved, then I started to look into it. And, and what I thought, the thing I like about it the most is they preach leadership in high-pressure situations. I think you can read – like reading books on leadership and things like that are great, right? You can sit back and I could read a book and I could give you a PowerPoint and tell you like everything that's right to do as a leader. But unless you've done that like, – and listen, we've done it. I played lacrosse in sports. I, I haven't – my life's not on the line running into a fire doing it, right? So it's a much, much lower stakes. But when you're in a high-pressure situation, learning how to lead through those kind of situations and being under stress, I think, is what's really important. I think it's like kind of taking the academic side of it and bring it to a practical thing. So I think teaching people how to lead, again, lead under fire, right? Like lead under high pressure is really, again, like really easy to read a book and sit here and I could tell you everything right about leadership. But like, can I make that decision in a really high-pressure situation in a short amount of time? I think that's what's unique and it's why it's so important and, and so practical. And I think you know, can benefit any, whatever, any job, any career, any sport, anything you're doing can really benefit them. Danny, did you have any observations about leadership under fire? Yeah, I mean, so my experience is not as, uh, not as deep as Brandon's with leadership under fire, but I, I really just admire the, for, for me, the mental side of performance is something that I've really grown to be pretty passionate about when I saw that what focusing on that could do for my, what did, what it did for my athletic career. And, uh, I, I, couldn't agree with Brendan Moore uh, hearing him hearing him speak about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's easy to sit here and I mean even us in this podcast, I can sit here and theorize and tell you, oh, this is how I acted, this is how I did this, did that. But it's really about doing it in situations, and it's uh, think things become very different when you're actually acting out the things that you uh, that you set out to. So yeah, I, mean, I think a guy like Jason, obviously someone who is a uh, a combat uh, a Marine uh, infantry combat officer, knows. Uh, He's seen what it really takes to to lead. And like Brendan said, we're playing lacrosse. It seems pretty high stakes at the time, but we're going back to our nice warm beds to have a hot meal because guys like Jason are out there doing their thing. So it's uh, I think it's really important. I think it's uh, it's great that people are starting to focus more on the the mental performance side of things in, uh, in high-pressure situations. So it's, uh, it's, I really, really admire what uh, Leadership Under Fire is doing. Definitely. I also think just one more point to add on that: just the growth you can make mentally at a, a lot of points is more is a lot more than you can make physically, especially at our level, right? Like, I could keep working; I'm not going to get that much bigger, or stronger, faster, right? Like, to an extent, I can, sure, with like great trainers, but like the the strides you can make mentally when you haven't done it, like learning how to focus, 
um, meditation, some things guys do, breath work, there's a lot of different things. You can make a lot more gains and strides in the, in the amount of, like, you only have so many hours in a day to work on stuff, right? And there's only so much you can do. I think your return on the mental side of working on sports at, especially as you get to the highest level, becomes way, is way higher um, than it is physically. Not that, obviously, it's important to be in really good physical shape, especially for any job, like fire department, military, any sport you're playing. Obviously, it's really important. But I think at a certain point, again, what's going to separate you and, and when you're spending your time doing mental stuff, your return's a lot higher. Excellent. Well, as we start to wrap up here, I want to reinforce something. Danny, you mentioned earlier, you're 23 years old, correct? Yes. And Brendan, how old are you? I'm I'm 26. I want to thank you both for your maturity and your leadership at this uh, stage in your lives. I'm really excited to see what the future holds for both of you. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to be here today. No, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Conway Shield is one of the few companies led by a president who has saved a life at the threat of his own. Paul Conway serves with a relentless firefighter mentality like his brother and father before him. Founded in 1985, Conway Shield manufactures America's finest helmet shields while arming firefighters and law enforcers with products Paul Conway himself would trust in the line of fire. Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance podcast listeners can receive a 10% discount site-wide using the code LUF more at ConwayShield.com. Hey listeners, we hope you're enjoying the podcast. The Leadership Under Fire team is excited to share that the 2019 National Optimizing Human Performance Summit will take place in Annapolis, Maryland, March 29th through 30th. This event, aimed at building your anchor, will explore resilience at the individual, team, and organizational levels, as well as from the tactical, mental, and moral perspectives. Summit speakers and panelists include Jen Baker, Senior Associate Athletics Director at John Hopkins University, Brendan Cauley of the FDNY, Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek, the authors of the New York Times bestseller Indianapolis, former U.S. Navy SEAL and functional fitness trainer Stu Smith, and more. Participants will collaborate in small groups with LUF advisors, plus have a chance to participate in a functional fitness workout. Registration is limited, so act fast. For more information, visit our website or email contact at leadershipunderfire.com. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.